Hello everybody and welcome back to my podcast, the Trauma of Abuse podcast um, by me, Hannah. Um, I just thought I'd start today, I've just got myself a nice cup of coffee, um, I've, I've, just, I've run out of chocolate biscuits, I've got no biscuits at all, not even boring biscuits in the house, I just fancied a biscuit and I thought, got none, but I have managed to find some Mozart chocolates, if you haven't tried them, they're gorgeous, try Mozart chocolate, you can order them online actually if you can't find them in the shops at the moment. Um, yeah, so I've just had to have a little cheeky one of those because I've, I've just gone healthy, um, since spring started well well we say spring we've had in the uk here we've had snow hail sunshine all sorts of things frost in the morning sunshine we've been out for walks people have been sitting outside um and been snowed on next minute they're sitting with their sunglasses on so it's all been very interesting um (laughs) things are starting to ease up a little bit with lockdown and everything like that um and i thought i'd just do another little podcast to keep you up to date i've got an interview coming up not this week but the end of towards the end of next week so listen out for that um with claire throssell so i'm just giving a little sort of pre um trailer to that and just saying um claire throssell i don't know whether everybody's heard of her but if you google her name you will find um a case from 2014 and some ongoing work since then. Um, Very tragic case um, of a lady whose children were murdered um, and killed um, on on a contact visit. Um, This was by a man and um, I, I, you know, I'm going to let her tell her story, but I think that's one that's worth listening to. So subscribe if you can um to this podcast so that you don't miss that episode because it's just going to be um life-changing and I think people need to hear this story who haven't heard it already as I say you can look up her name her name is Claire Throssell she's a lovely lady um and she speaks very well and very clearly about her ordeal and about the changes to the domestic abuse bill um and about the homicides of children um, and what she hopes to achieve um, and how things are going with that. So I'm really interested to not only do my usual interview of hearing her horrific ordeal um, and how she's coped. Um, she talked to me um, about her blog um, and, you know, how she's carrying on really and some of the good work she's doing. So I really want to um, urge you to to listen to that Um as I say, it'll probably be towards the end of next week um, when that one's published. I'm, um, I was just looking up, actually. I haven't had a response to, because in one of my previous podcasts, I was asking about whether this idea of a forced relationship um, in context of a forced marriage, etc., um, that's going on is in the bullying culture that we've all experienced. Um in and around family law, etc., and some of the practices, um, and you know, some of the stuff to do with how we've been treated by public services and things. And again, that was something that'll be included in the interviews to come. But um, yeah, something that a case that that cropped up was obviously the grooming scandals that have been going on. Um, and if you're outside the UK, I don't know if you've heard about this. Um, there were some young girls who were underage who were groomed. And and in fact, this relates to the USA case, doesn't it? Because we've got this global, we've got the whole Ghislaine Maxwell thing going on, everything like that. And I just thought I would talk about, um, I looked up, actually, I came across this 
you know, accidentally. There's a lady um, here, and you can find her on social media, and you can read her articles and interviews, um, called Maggie Oliver, who used to work in the police force, who uncovered um, some of the abuse of um, vulnerable young teenage girls um, who were abused by um, a gang of men in the UK, and that these gangs are not a one-off, um, that they were deliberately targeting um, these vulnerable um, females and um, underage children and how this had impacted on their lives etc and um, one of the things she mentioned was um, this idea of misconduct in a public office um, in the UK so I've got in front of me here now um, cps.gov.uk this is off their official website so the CPS for those who don't know is the Crown Prosecution Service um, in the UK and they are the people who basically decide who goes to court for criminal charges or not. Um, so this is from their website and I'm just reading here about um, and today I'm just having a kind of general chat about um, accountability but also about morality. Uh, morality in the UK um, you know we hear a lot about sort of religious morality and we hear a lot of people judging and we hear a lot about um groups and this that and that um this is more about what is in in the system here so i just thought i'd read you off their own website here what it says it says the principle um this guidance describes the legal elements of the offense of misconduct in public office and how to apply them it provides uh, charging advice indicating the factors to consider when deciding if it's appropriate to charge the offense um so it says the principle scope of the offense misconduct in a public office is an offence at common law tribal only on indictment. It carries a maximum sentence of life imprisonment, which I found quite interesting. Um, it's an offence confined to those who are in public office holders and is committed when the office holder acts or fails, fails to act in a way that constitutes a breach of the duties of that office. The Court of Appeal has made it clear that the offence should be strictly confined. It can raise complex and sometimes sensitive issues. Area prosecutors should therefore consider seeking the advice of the director's legal advisor to resolve any uncertainty as to whether it would be appropriate to bring a prosecution for such an offence. So then it says policy. Sorry, I'm just scrolling up and down here. Um, policy, where there is um, clear evidence of one or more statutory offences, they should usually form the basis of the case. With the public office element being, um, being put forward as an aggravating factor for sentencing purposes, the decision of the Court of Appeal, Attorney General's reference, etc., um, does not go as far as to prohibit the use of misconduct in public office where there is, no, where there is a statutory offence available. There is, however, an earlier authority preferring the use of statutory offences over common law ones. And it gives examples. The court um, held that where a statute creates or recreates a duty and prescribes a particular penalty for a willful neglect of that duty, the remedy by indictment is included. And it goes on to give references to case, case law um, in that respect. Um, so it says that the use of common law 
law offence should therefore be limited to the following situations. Where there is no relevant statutory offence, but the behaviour or the circumstances are such that they should nevertheless be treated as criminal. Where there is a statutory offence, but it would be difficult or inappropriate to use it. This might arise because of the evidential difficulties in proving the statutory offence in the particular circumstances, or because the maximum sentence for the statutory offence would be entirely insufficient for the seriousness of the misconduct. Um, so it goes on to talk about the definition of this offence and it says um, the offence is committed when a public officer acting as such willfully neglects to perform his duty or willfully misconducts himself to such a degree as to amount to the abuse of the public's trust in the office holder without reasonable excuse or justification. So... It goes on to talk about, you know, what a public officer is, etc. Um, but there is clearly something there. Um, but the, the, although the first part is quite vague, it, there is clearly something there um, in law, although it, it looks as if there are some get-outs there. <laughs> um, so it says the following have been accepted as holding a public office by the court over several centuries. A coroner, constable accountant, paymaster general, uh, justice of the peace, um, executive or ministerial office, gala, mayoral, burgess, magistrates, penny, overseer of the poor, army officer, county court registrar, district judge, it says in brackets there, police officer, local authority employees, um, DVLA employees, pol police community support officer, um, immigration officers, um, those in charge of police computer systems, nurses working within a prison, um, a Church of England clergy, clergyman, um, and it lists examples, a local councillor, a member of the independent monitoring board for prisons, etc. So those are the kind of um, people that are listed in cases um, as being in public Office. It says it's extremely difficult to extract from the cases any general identifying features of public officers. In a contemporary context, a person may fall within the meaning of a public officer where one or more of the following characteristics applies to the role or function that they exercise with respect to the public at large. Judicial or quasi-judicial, regulatory, punitive, coercive, investigative, representative of the public at large, in brackets, and responsibility for public funds. So it talks about the nature of a neglect and misconduct, um, and willful also, it says, the breach of duty. So you can look all this up if you want to do any further reading. Um, I think me reading out to you might be a little bit boring, but um, in great detail, and also won't give the greater context um, of the individual cases. Um, which is a little bit more complex, um, obviously, but I just, um, I just thought I'd bring that to your attention, really. Um, that there is something there, and it's quite a serious thing. But how it's carried out, I don't know because I've not seen it in practice. But it's just an interesting um, point there that I don't know if everybody's aware of. So that is on the that is on the www.cps.gov.uk. Um, 
legal guidance um, page online and you can look that up for yourself um, on their guidance so that's interesting um, there are obviously other sources of information which explain a little bit more about that um, so there's also the concept of what's called malfeasance um, or misfeasance as well so I just thought I'd bring those things to your attention really whether you're in, interested um, we're really talking about um, people's personal experiences and we've done it in a sort of creative way, in an honest way, in a verbal way, um, in a written way. But we've also um, talked about how people cope and things like that on these podcasts. And um, I'm sort of, we've also touched on how people were treated, not only by ordinary lay people, but by people in office Um and I think the cases of the grooming scandals are a good example of where that went very, very badly wrong and that has been established. But there's this great sadness that I feel personally um, as a citizen of the UK and, you know, as a mother and um decent human being that some of these people, you know, it's not always about getting revenge or punishment or things but there are a lot of these people have not really been held accountable and that a lot of these things happen i don't know if people outside the uk are familiar with the hillsborough disaster um this was um a situation where multiple failings resulted in multiple deaths crushing um of and murder of, of you know 96 individuals from liverpool who'd been to watch a football match and basically, you know, it took them years and years and years and years to get any justice and, you know, they they had to overcome some pretty... People died along the way trying to actually get justice, you know, because it went on for so long and some of them never got to see that. And some of them did and that was a great... considered a great day locally and you know it and nationally really and and it, you know it's that sort of thing breaks my heart really in today's day and age really where we should be doing better than that and we should have learned from those things um and from the hills for disaster and i just i just feel a sense that we haven't because of what i'm hearing on a daily basis um about you know the failings that are going on all over the place, really, um, and the lack of improvements um, in services. Now, we know that improvements were made as a result of that particular um, tragedy, um, but I think some of the principles of that still apply to a lot of things. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think we need to think a little bit more about And certainly I think it's relevant to the interview we'll be doing with Claire um, because she's quite quite saddened really to find that the death of her two children you would think would shock a nation and would, you know, into action into into preventing this from happening and a change of culture and practice. Um, and certainly when I've made people quite high up the um, the scale of authority aware of things and they've promised to do something about it as well um i feel that these things are still happening and i'm wondering why they're still being allowed to happen and why that culture hasn't changed yet 
and why it wasn't changed decades ago. And I find that quite um, astonishing and quite shocking, really. So I thought I'd just mention it um, as a little little precursor, really, to, to the interview we'll be doing next week. And um, talk a little bit about um, my feelings of uh, stress. So I was just going to do a little piece on this as well, moving on from that. So... Um, Stress short-term and stress long-term, two different things, and as a result of trauma or abuse um, that may have been ongoing from throughout, you know, a long period of time, prolonged, or it could be intermittent, so it could happen and then it could stop for a bit and then it could happen again, um, and it can take its toll on us. Um, so I've talked a bit before about how music's helped. Um, I've talked a little bit about meditation and other coping strategies, about doing a diary, about exercise, about all these different things. Um, and I always do try to finish the podcast on a relatively positive or takeaway from so that people don't go away feeling upset. So um, I thought I'd just share with you, because this is a very personal, personalised podcast, um, some of the symptoms that I experienced when I was being mistreated. Um, so at first I was very good at uh, hiding what, what was happening to me in a domestic violence setting. So I would, you know, um, dress up, show up, cover up um, any signs or anything to do with that because it was all about keeping up appearances and pleasing the abuser and um that's why it's very important to remember that these signs are not always obvious you know um everybody's on the lookout for that child that smells or that woman who's got a black eye and it's not always that obvious um many of the abuse victims that I've spoken to have not even been physically they haven't left a mark um but you know emotionally mentally that it's all there and that doesn't mean dive in and you know accuse everybody you know of something happening to them but um what's really interesting is that um over time this stress takes its toll on us and I know that after immediate events like being punched or um being threatened or um sometimes you can have a delayed reaction so I don't know if if any of the listeners can relate to this, sometimes it can take a week or a month or a couple of months for it to really face up to what's happened. Um, it can hit you like a ton of bricks like a few days later. Um, oh my goodness, I just survived something that was life-threatening. And at the time, your body's kind of, you know, in that mode of survival um, where you put on a brave face and you're on with it. When you've been through, and many of my guests have, a sort of ongoing process of battling against a system that's really kind of trying to wear you down and and does have the effect of wearing you down and it's quite it's quite deliberate in some respects and it's just part of the process in others um I think it can cause symptoms so I just want to briefly touch on some of those possible symptoms um in case some of the listeners because this is all about helping other people really this podcast so um Sometimes people start to feel tired. Sometimes they start to eat more or less. 
sometimes they can get stomach aches, headaches, and sometimes um, those physical symptoms can really start to impact on their life, which is when, um, you know, it's difficult because who do you reach out to and will you get the right support and the right advice? Um, Sometimes it can shut people down and they don't want to go outside. Uh, they can be scared to go outside. They can start having nightmares. And of course, then there's this cycle where the nightmares and the lack of sleep that makes you more tired. Um, but many people that I've shared experiences with and I've had conversations with and um, have experienced this real sense of fatigue, this real sense of um, exhaustion. And very often they're the people who are going out for a run. Those are the people who have got children running around and they're taking them to school and dropping them off at the school gates. And nobody would know just how tired they really feel until they're literally, you know, looking haggard and everything. And they've probably felt tired for a very long time. And they're probably masking it well because, you know, they're just getting on with their day and putting on my brave face and everything. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who are very good at masking that. We don't always just stop and go, actually, this is awful. Um, and especially when you're in a bullying arena, because you're constantly told by um, so-called professionals who are not professionals in self-care or well-being. They're professionals in, say, law or... Um, administration or paperwork and you know they're not always the best people um, to advise this will tell you what to think what to feel what's not relevant what's not allowed you know and you get this very real sense of I'm not allowed to feel like this well actually I'm here to tell you you are um, and you should acknowledge those feelings because if you don't um, they can build up inside and this, you know, it is one thing to say, well, get up, show up and, and do your best and, you know, appear the following, um, try and stay calm, etc. in certain situations. But if you're constantly told you cannot be yourself and you cannot experience these things and you, um, then it starts to build up inside. And I actually think it's very unhealthy that, that women are being told this. Um, well, don't, don't say anything. Well, you know, don't do this. And, you know, this might happen, as I say, by so-called professionals, or it might happen in a situation where, and essentially you're being silenced. It might happen in a family or in a home, you know, we don't talk about that, you know, or it's not very nice or it's not very ladylike or it's shameful or it's, you know, um, it depends on your circumstances and it could be a combination of people and you might get mixed messages as well. So you might get somebody saying to you, oh, you know, you ought to go and report that and that's very serious and that's against the law and, you know, you ought to do something about that. And you might get another person saying, oh, well, you won't stand a chance, don't bother. And so you can be passed back and forward and children given the same sort of um, messages like this as well as abuse victims um, who are adults and um, you know it's all sort of oh there's this campaign if you report this or you report the bully something will be done and then you realise when you do actually that's not true half the time um, and I wouldn't ever encourage anybody not to speak out and not to report anything myself so don't please don't take that as um, you know discouragement from doing that I think it's always worth having a try 
um, but it's knowing when to walk away and saying, actually, I've got, I've turned to these people. I've had people turn to charities even. I'm not going to, I actually can't remember the name of the charity in question, but I've had people say, well, I went to the charity and they were obnoxious with me and they were awful with me. Um, and, you know, this could be for a number of reasons. This could be because they're just not very good at what they do and they don't really understand the issues. Or it could be that they um, have a self-interest, such as money, and they don't really care about you. And it could be because, you know, smear campaigning, so say other organisations or agencies or the manipulator or abuser themselves has been behind the scenes, kind of discrediting you a little bit, you know, and you might have something on your file or you might... So I don't want people to feel paranoid or anything like that. I just want them to be aware that these are possibilities and that you're not the only one experiencing this. So if you do feel hmm, people start to act a little bit strange or um, is it me? Do I smell? No, I don't. You know, <laughs> am I a bad person? No, I'm not. You might find actually, um, this is where I find doing a video diary quite helpful. So I don't know if anybody's um, done this themselves you don't have to publish them you don't have to put them on Facebook just on your little on your phone on your laptop on your camera on your video recorder um, you know you can just do a little video diary of yourself in today's date um, this is how I'm feeling this is what I'm going through um, at the moment this is the, this is the thoughts going through my head you might want to listen back to it and just see you'd be surprised at how um, articulate and how clear and how sensible you are and how you come across because you might have been bullied by an abuser or by a group of unprofessional professionals <laughs> um, into believing that actually you're the bad person here you're the one who needs to change you're not being you know you're asking for too much or you're you know um how dare you and I think especially as women I think you know there's a sense of and children you know you must be silenced you must behave in a certain way how dare you you know be difficult don't be difficult just agree to everything just go along with everything and actually um if you listen to or note down what it is you're you're saying and how you're feeling it's perfectly reasonable or you might come back and say, gosh, I was talking a lot of nonsense there and I was all jumbled up. And you might say, actually, I need to take some time out. I need to take some time out and have a little rest here because I'm going ten to the dozen. Um, so it can be a real, um, don't beat yourself up about it because it's just for you. Um, you don't have to show it to anyone. You can if you want to, if you find that helpful. Um I certainly found a video diary, if, especially if you don't like writing or you don't like writing things down or typing on a computer or you don't. Um, sometimes that can be the easiest form um, of doing it because you're just talking to yourself. <laughs> you're just talking to a, a screen. And for other people, there's other ways of doing it. So that's something to try. Um, it helped me keep, keep a nice little record. And it's also um, get out there you know especially if um you can't get hold of there are lots of charitable organizations and free organizations that offer counseling support and groups but there's also people who can't afford that or think it's too much at the moment to shell out you know the full fee of 40 50 pounds an hour for um you know a counselor or therapist that's a bit too much for me at the moment um you know doing that for yourself can really help you see how you've come on as well so you can look back and go well actually um you know I've achieved so much and I was very distressed there and this this distress is real and I think when you see that when you see the trauma of what's happened to you when it's happening and then you what often happens with abuse is that the abuser will 
go through a phase and a cycle of abusing you for a bit and then everything will be back to seemingly normal again and you'll think oh everything's all right now they've they've changed and of course they haven't and then it's good to look back and say actually at this period in time I was deeply distressed and these people you know and I was in a really bad place because of these people and what they were doing to me or this individual was doing to me and um, there were times when I was happy and there were times when I was coping better and things were you know I was left alone and it does help you to evaluate um you know how you can best help yourself but also the reality of the situation that's happening to you because um there is a tendency sometimes to make excuses for the abuser or to just put up with it or for people to tell you to put up with it oh it's not that bad the number of times people have been told well it's not really that bad when it is that bad um you know or people start to normalize it so i think it's a good way of not normalizing it actually and um showing yourself that you are normal that you are a human being you know um as if you were listening to a friend telling your story you're listening to yourself and listening to what your body needs um so as far as symptoms are concerned um some people have suffered nightmares as say dizziness um and it's really difficult for people to understand this you know when somebody just needs to go home or needs to stay indoors or needs to just lie down people say oh you know how ridiculous or people have migraines and people say oh they don't really exist you know it's just a somebody with hypochondria or something actually if somebody has been through a situation and it's not for you to judge whether that situation is traumatic enough or life-threatening enough it's up to the individual who's experienced it and experiencing it um let's say you might be fine i remember i've actually got a video and a photograph of myself looking almost green um, attending a court appearance and just feeling so sick that morning you know when I hadn't done anything to feel sick I mean I'd had a good night's sleep as I could do you know I had prepared everything I'd got dressed you know I'd had a wash I was perfectly sort of um but I just looked green and I remember just feeling like I just needed to lie down I couldn't there was no air in there it was just awful and I looked at myself and I thought my goodness you know I look really ill and I remember um my child as well in the same situation sort of one of his friends remarked it's cool oh my goodness you look sort of pale and green at one point this was before this some years before this and um but what was astonishing was that a lot of people didn't notice and I thought, well, of course I'm noticing I'm his mum, you know, um, we've talked about it, I know how he feels, he's hiding it all, he's at school, he's holding it all in. Um, and this is certainly true for not just people who've actually experienced something traumatic as, you know, as in an event as such, but those who experience things through the eyes of, say, um, a hidden disability like an autistic spectrum disorder or ADHD or um, something like that as well and they, they experience the world in a different way there are other conditions as well but um, in combination sometimes as well with an event in, and those experiences to them you know and children you know in this school or in a strange environment or um sometimes lights are a bit too much for people um I remember going along to something and just having having been through the most awful ordeal and I just said um would you mind turning the artificial lights off you know because I can't can't cope with it today and then the next day I'll be absolutely fine um 
and I remember sun thing bright lights and things like that. So there's lots of those little things. Um, sometimes you just need a bit of peace and quiet or lie down. And it's learning, actually, um, when you have had these symptoms, um, whether they be long-term, short-term, um, as a result of any situation of experience, is just to accept that they are happening and that's, you know, and just take some time out and not feel this pressure. I think, um, and this is where the unprofessional professionals are particularly bad as well. They will say things like, are you not at work today? Are you not doing this, that, and the other? Oh, have you got a problem? Oh, go and see your doctor. And it's not always a case of rushing off to the doctor, taking tablets or, you know, um, getting off to work and doing this and being pushed, pushed, pushed all the time. Sometimes it's a case of actually just feel a bit rubbish today, just need to lie down for a bit, just need to have a glass of water, just need to, you know, go and find somewhere peaceful and quiet, you know. Um, And it's funny because sometimes it can alter your appetite as well. Sometimes you really crave certain foods or um, sometimes you just, some people go off food altogether and things like that. And um, it's just allowing that, if it's just a small phase or a passing symptom that keeps reoccurring sometimes just to let it go manage it know it's not the end of the world and then come back to what you were doing afterwards and this is where the usual routine the usual you know we all live in this world of right get up at this time get to work by this time um lockdown's kind of stopped a bit of that for people um up to an extent but now we're going back out into the big wide world and it's you know we're going to be on that rat race and just I think for people who've been traumatised, they can't keep that up long term. Sometimes they do manage it. And then on the weekends, if you can manage Monday to Friday or four days a week or um, of that, and then you can just switch off at the weekends and just switch everything off and just rest, then you can manage it. Um, sometimes, you know, incorporating things like um, um a five minute meditation in the morning or, um, you know an outlet like playing a sport two or three times a week where you just switch your brain off or um even if you it doesn't cost you any money like just going out for a walk or something or a run or you know just lifting some if you don't want to go out the house because you feel you know just lifting some tins of beans at home or there's loads of online um exercise videos or or gentle yoga if you're not up to vigorous things like that as well or taking time out to escape into a book with a nice story that's just taking you into a different place for a bit, just giving you a little rest, is all resting time. And I think it's really important that um, when you've been through that situation that that you try um, and give yourself that time and space um, and recovery. And it's difficult because symptoms, I've certainly had symptoms of IBS, um, irritable bowel syndrome, and people talk a lot about diet, fibre and this, that and the other. And walking and dehydration and all. and really when it's stress related, it's nothing to do with any of those things. And you cure the stress and you cure the stressful environment. And the first thing to do is get away from anybody toxic. So if you can't do that, don't blame yourself. It's not your fault. But if you have the option of stepping away from horrible lawyers, horrible I don't know, unprofessional professionals, as I call them, horrible abusers, uh, friends who are well-meaning and you wouldn't class as abusive normally, but 
are not good for you because they're either too fussy or they're too bossy or they're too hyperactive or they're too, I don't know, unreliable. Step away from them for a little while. Um, stick to people who are reliable. Stick to people and yourself and rely on yourself and stick to nature and stick to things that are you know are good for you, that make you feel good. Um, that's so important. Really. So the first thing is to eliminate those toxicities out of your life. The other thing is to eliminate anything like excessive um, foods that are bad for you and drink that's bad for you in excess and things like that. And of course, any drugs or anything like that that's not serving you and not helping you because it's very easy to turn to these things as um, immediate comfort. And this is why in a small dose of, you know, something that's, you know, um, legal and healthy in small amounts. But anything that's not in that realm um don't go near it keep it out of your life get rid of it all just enjoy um things that are good for you and only put things into you and into your life that are good for you and it will help to alleviate now you might still have those symptoms for a while i remember her going through an awful phase of dizziness stomach pain that felt like a tennis ball in the middle of my stomach it was growing in the middle of my stomach and I actually at one point thought well should I go and get this checked out have I actually got a growth inside me I thought no I'm healthy I'm listening it's stress and I went along with lots of funny symptoms I had teeth growing my dentist noticed actually and dentists will notice things a lot that I was grinding my teeth and it was and he said oh it's stress it's stresses of life you know it's very common and I didn't even know I was doing it. I thought I had a bit of earache or a bit of hay fever or a bit of neck pain, you know, because I'd suffered with the shoulder um, thing beforehand. And actually, it's all related. It takes a toll on the body. There is a book about this, actually. And it's I think it's an audio book form as well um, about the, the body, um, you know, stress on the body um, as well that you can look up. So, um, so... Even if you don't want to read a book about it, just you know, just be just being aware of the fact that other people do experience these things, and that you're not alone. Because I think, even though people don't mean to be, they can be quite unsympathetic. Even if they're usually very nice and very supportive, because they don't know what to do. Like they'll turn up somewhere to do something with you, and you'll feel, oh, I just feel really sick. I feel like I'm going to be sick. I feel like I need to lie down. I feel like I, I can't do this, or I feel like I need to go home, or, um. And it's very difficult for other people. I've been in both in a situation when I'm dealing with somebody who's been in that state and I'm the strong one saying, come on, we were going for a walk, weren't we? Or, you know, come on, we were thinking what's going on here. You know, why are they behaving like this? Or just thinking a child's being naughty or whatever or um, or a bit tension seeker or a bit getting their own way. And actually um, then experiencing it for myself and knowing I'm oh, actually... Um, you know, I thought this was real and it is real. Um, so I don't know if anybody listening has ever experienced those things or has witnessed somebody else, but have sympathy for them and have sympathy for yourself and um, allow yourself to feel the way you do. Your body's telling you something. It's telling you to stop, do what you need to do, relax, you know, um, get good nourishment, get good rest, rest, 100% rest um, and switch off and keep away from those places and you know I'm not saying you should go around avoiding 
you know, when you develop an avoidance thing and everything, you can seek the help of a professional um, if it's affecting your life. Um, and there's some really good ones out there. But, you know, if it's just um, a passing thing, and very often it can be, and, you know, it, there's no magic person who's going to cure it for you and there's no magic pill that's going to cure it for you. M- much of the time, it's about you managing it. Um, I'm in a great place now, having experienced a lot of these symptoms. When my son was first kidnapped, um, I actually remember talking to one of the counsellors at the centre we'd been to together for for my son to have some counselling, actually. And I remember saying, you know, I actually woke in the night... Um, you know, I urinated, I, I was sick, I was, you know, um, just having a physical reaction to for, to what was happening to me, which was a torturous process. And, um, and then I was too tired to go out and then there was this. And it was like, and then this dizziness sat in and, you know, and then this sort of spaced out feeling that I'd never had before suddenly came on and I just thought, and it was because of the intensity of the the nature of of the trauma and the abuse that I was suffering at that time and had been through um at that time and also it, it you know combined with the long term effects but it it didn't stop me from completely functioning and it didn't stop me from continuing and I say I did keep a video diary um and I can see looking back at those just how distressed I was I could hardly get my words out at one point um and now I can tell my story and now I can um as well and you can feel like you're locked in this thing where nobody's listening to you in this bubble but they are listening and I'm listening and um so I just I just wanted to share that in case anybody else could relate to it really um it's not really a feeling of sadness as such, and it's not really a feeling of anxiety as such. It's more, as I say, an extreme set of circumstances which is coming from external factors, um, squashing you really to the point where you're just frozen really in this um, state and suffering great pain. You get physical pain from it, which is quite interesting. Um, I never would have thought that's how people you know experience it um but it was a physical symptomatic um of this emotional psychological torture that I was going through really and legal torture and um all the rest of it um and bullying and abuse so um and perhaps one of the most traumatic things was you know feeling that I couldn't protect my own child from the situation that they were in as well um, and I couldn't protect myself, and I couldn't protect my family. Um, so, you know, from that point of view, that was quite horrific for me. Um, for anybody who's experienced that as well. And you do have flashbacks to memories of things that have happened, and you do have nightmares about... Um, and people's behaviour, the unprofessional professionals, as I call them, their behaviour to me was absolutely shocking at times. Um absolutely shocking so because they did not understand the situation and because they were quite hardened and cruel um and not justifiably so either quite um you know there was an element of ignorance there but there's also an element i think of of sadism 
so anyway um yeah i just wanted to say that um all in all i wanted to share some of those symptoms with people and i wanted to um talk about um an ethos really of what's right and wrong and it's never right to re-victimize somebody who's been a victim of of something and it's never right to um attack them not knowing the circumstances or not having done your research properly um so be cautious of that if you are a professional working with people and you don't know the full picture or you think you do because you've been told a certain story check your facts out check who you're dealing with they might seem like me dressed up show up makeup hair clothes all looking you know speech all very confident um but inside they might have been tortured and tormented and abused and threatened um and tired and worn down and this might be their last attempt to try and get across to you what's been happening and and, and to try and get you to recognize the things that you haven't seen so far or haven't been you haven't been told about so far and so don't don't assume you know everything um and if i can achieve anything really um it would be to change those attitudes and approaches um, if anybody actually is conscientious enough to do that and to incorporate that in their work. Um, it's not always about deadlines and about getting paperwork in on time and about doing what you've been ordered to do. Sometimes you've got to actually sit down and listen and think, this is not quite the way it seems. Um, so, yeah, I just... Um, I wanted to say, try a video diary try um you might not have access to video recording but most people have got phones now or um computer screens that will take a video or um things like that so um even if it's just a verbal one um on a little tape recorder they're very cheap to buy actually you can get a little dictaphone um so if you can't do a video do um a little recording of yourself listen to yourself and just um Acknowledge that actually what you're saying is perfectly okay, perfectly rational. <clears throat> you might want to do one monthly, weekly. And it's a good way of um, getting your thoughts out if you can't write them down on paper for whatever reason or you can't, you know, you don't really feel like doing a hot work or anything like that or um, you, you haven't got skills like I have in, in playing music or you haven't been, you haven't got that that forum um, or if you, you know, you have dyslexia and you don't really enjoy writing and things like that or um, try try that, try a sound diary or a video diary, um, it's just a suggestion. Okay, so I'm going to leave that podcast there for today, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and I'll sure see you very soon, bye.